Uh, so now comes the part where I do the intro and say, hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So does that very special time of the month wherein we do a very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great, uh, Trevor. Yeah, thanks for having me once again. Uh, it's great to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Brad. It's always so much easier to conduct this show uh, with somebody to bounce ideas off of. Uh, so, folks at home, uh, dear listeners, uh, and hopefully viewers, uh, if you're not familiar with the format here, uh, a Tales from the Shelf episode is essentially an excuse, a monthly excuse, uh, for both Brad and I to share some stories about our respective physical media collections. Uh, you may have noticed in the background of our webcam feeds, uh, we both have a lot of Blu-rays, uh, DVDs, and 4Ks. Uh, in Brad's case, not so much DVDs. Uh, just the very thought of the format makes him throw up in his mouth just a little bit. Just a little. in a box somewhere. Away. <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> they should all be destroyed. <laughs> to yeah. quote uh, Robert Muldoon, uh, Bob Peck from Jurassic Park. Great yeah. film. May even come up in conversation today. Uh, so, hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, so, generally each month uh, we have a like an overarching theme uh, guiding the discussion. Uh, so this month the theme was my pick. Uh, and I selected sentimental scores uh, for our topic. Uh, now, the title is misleading. I try to keep things alliterative when it comes to titles. And you know what? Nostalgia was the word that was kind of ringing around in my head. And goddamn, there's very little musical terminology that starts with an N that I discovered. Uh, Nocturne was the only one that came to mind, but that's not appropriate to what we're going to be talking about, at least the, the general tone, I hope, of the discussion. Uh, so basically what we're going to be talking about is movie scores, uh, but very specifically in my case, and hopefully Brad's as well, um, scores that we have nostalgia for, like, I guess, the scores that shaped us uh, in, in our journey through cinema. Um, so in my case, I have picks dating back to when I was a child um, and leading up to about like my college years. So like 10, 15 years ago for me. <laughs> Uh, how about yourself, Brad? Like, what was your general thought process in making your picks? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of went and just looked at uh, movies that I watched quite a bit when I was um, younger. And I guess m mainly movies I watched when I was younger and still have some affinity for. So, uh, you know, there's no uh, Coco Melon or anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, like ac actual movies... And uh, I kind of just went and looked at the ones I watched a bunch and kind of went back and listened to some of the scores. Some of them were obvious, like scores that I, I, I guess I would say most of them are obvious. There's a few that I had to listen to some tracks and be like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing this all the time. But yeah, most of them were, I would say, are up there with some of my favorite scores, which certainly goes to show how uh, nostalgia can shape one's opinions, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably something to keep in mind, uh, dear listeners and hopefully viewers. Um, not every movie we're going to be talking about today is probably going to be a, a cinematic classic. Uh, like a lot of these picks are, are movies from when I was very young, uh, when, before I had taste, before I really knew what I was all about when it came to movies. 
Um, but the music is chiefly what we're going to be focusing on today. So uh, now comes the very fun part where I get to flex my hosting muscles here uh, and toss Brad directly under the bus uh, and ask that he uh, be the first one to share his sentimental scores. Uh, so Brad, what's your first pick, bud? I mean, I would say probably most of my movies here are actually probably great i would say um but <laughs> stop <laughs> but, but uh, more that they're uh i don't have a lot of there's not a lot of deep cuts here ah. it's a lot of mainstream oh god damn. is this going to be a parade of john williams and hans zimmers's no 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 well i mean thank fucking christ <laughs> uh, i mean it's going to be in that vein i guess but i think i have one john williams here but um home alone it, it would be, some named composers, I'm sure. I don't think there's going to be any deep cuts. Um, this first one, uh, when we did this uh, idea, the not it wasn't the first movie that came to mind, but the opening titles of this movie and the music that plays over the opening titles has always been like one of my favorite bits of music, like original score. And I, uh, I, I, lo I love all the music in the movie, but I went through and listened to some of the other tracks. And I'm not a, a person who really listens to scores away from the movie very often, like isolated, but doing it with this movie, it's kind of interesting because I actually kind of, uh, I think I appreciated the movie, uh, the music a little more. And that is the score uh, done by, I believe, James Newton Howard. Yes, James Newton Howard for M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Ooh. I remember seeing this movie in theaters back in 2002. I was nine and I think eight or nine, something like that. Um, and I love the music that plays over opening titles. Like genuinely, I think very, it's very bombastic, but I think it's very creepy and unsettling. And I love how that, that kind of like um, same overall uh, theme or motif, the, how it plays throughout the movie in different moments where the opening titles are creepy, they're unsettling, they set a mood, and it, that use of music is just meant to be unsettling and scary. There's uh, actually, hang on, let me pull up my, because uh, I did what you suggested and uh, set some tr tracks aside. So that's main titles. We have uh, Baby Monitor, Baby Monitor, which has that same sort of but it's kind of got a little bit of it's still unsettling, but there's a little bit of like a ah ha like a discovery aspect to it. I I I I didn't do enough research to find out what uh, instrumentation makes it sound a little bit more um, intriguing. Like there's an intriguing element to it, and then finally uh, the uh, the Hand of Fate part one and two takes that same, you know, uh, cadence of notes and turns it not into a, an unsettling um, feel, but it's much more of a um, like just uh, uh, relief or uh, emotional kind of, a, you know, a catharsis. And of course that plays over the uh, climax when everything sort of comes together. And I, I'm not like, you know, I'm somewhat of a musical guy, but I don't know exactly um, what makes them sound different. I would, if I'm just spitballing here, and I'm probably totally wrong, I would venture to say that um, it's potentially uh, the the main title theme 
is potentially in a minor key versus a major key, which gives it that unsettling feel. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe it's got that feel. It's got that vibe. But um, yeah, listening to the score outside of the movie and just like hearing the tracks, boom, 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 boom. You can definitely tell how it is kind of the same sort of cadence of notes, but the way that it plays and produces very different um, emotions and feelings in certain parts of the movie is uh, pretty great. And I think I love this movie. It's absolutely one of my favorite movies, but uh, the music does do a lot of heavy lifting. And I would say it's up there as one of my favorite scores. Yeah, I believe we've talked about this before, uh, you and I, um, but also uh, Kyle and I reviewed uh, Signs for Catching Up on Cinema, and it's a fantastic film. Like, it really holds up. Uh, I've told this story plenty of times, but I have an old friend uh, who had a really fun story about going to see that movie in the theater blind, uh, as in he knew nothing about it. He He didn't even know the title. He looked up at the marquee and he said, one for Signs, please. And it it became one of his favorite cinematic experiences mm-hmm. just because he he didn't even see a commercial for it. So that was always remarkable to me. But yeah, excellent film. <clears throat> and James Newton Howard is he's one of those underrated guys. Um, really, really fantastic composer. I'm not doing research or anything, but just off the top of my head, uh, The Fugitive uh, has an excellent score. And I could be wrong, but I think he also did Primal Fear. Um, which also has it has like a kind of like a, a modern like kind of metropolitan vibe to it that kind of permeates a lot of his scores like funny enough i could be wrong but i think primal fear and the fugitive are both chicago films um plus plus the big one of the dark knight films uh, james newton howard collaborated with Hans zimmer he's often forgotten like like most people point to Hans zimmer as being the batman begins the dark knight guy James Newton Howard also was credited as composer. They collaborated on the first two films. And hey, it's another Chicago movie. <laughs> can can we just take a moment here and listen? I, no dis no disrespect to Mr. Hans Zimmer. I mean, we can get into the whole thing of how he has his lackeys do the scores <laughs> for him, and then he just comes in and tinkers a few notes and takes full credit. But whatever. Um, no, like the PR, whoever runs the Hans Zimmer PR train. They are good because that's a good example of growing up. Like, I just, I don't know why. Obviously, they're both credited, but just, you know, I took it as Hans Zimmer was, he did the music for The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. Didn't even, didn't even think about James Newton Howard. And I don't know why. And then another good example, which blew my mind, blew my mind when I found this out. And I would have pulled this movie off if I own it. Unfortunately, the 4K looks like garbage, so I don't own it. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you want to say it. Um, he did not do Curse of the Black Pearl, with the, which I think has an incredible main theme. And he just comes in for the sequel. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. But 100%, I, for years, I thought he did that main theme. And I, would, I was crediting that as like one of my favorite like Hans Zimmer pieces. And then I find out just one day I'm just, you know, on my phone. I don't know why looking up Pirates of the Caribbean and I see I don't even, I forget who did the score. It's, it's not even somebody I know. They've been wiped. They've been wiped off the map. <laughs> like Hans Zimmer's team just like wiped this person away. Like what it's, is going on? It's a uh, Klaus Klaus Bedell. 
uh, is the fellow's name. My point exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're up. You're 100 percent right. He's not a household name, whereas Hans. I mean, even Gam Gam knows who Hans is. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that is a funny trivia factoid that you're absolutely right. That first Pirates film, uh, he is not listed as the primary composer. I, I understand that Klaus Bedelt was probably working under his his larger umbrella on Zimmer's, that is. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad Brad is drawing attention to this because it is it is an odd thing that it's it's interesting because. I don't I don't always have a problem with this. Um, this is this is like a an ongoing discussion, like an ongoing conversation, because there's a thing that happens in many forms of of art where there's there's assistance like in like in manga, like in like in Japanese comic publishing. There's usually two or three assistants who work under the, the primary author who are doing a lot of the in between in between line work and lettering and in many cases they are not credited and this practice stretches back way way it's like from antiquity basically like it's very common to have these these faceless people doing the work like and having the work attributed to a larger entity either a person of celebrity status or oftentimes a school like like in say like martial arts or something you're doing it for for the establishment or for your master you 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 don't take the credit. It, you're just you're just a cog in the machine. So it's in in modern times, this is like a really hot topic where it's like, you know, you do the work, you should have attribution. You know, it's it, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. You, you mentioned that like very specific point with Klaus Bedell that he did do the score for the first film and he did an excellent job. Uh, the score for the Black Pearl is a very complete thought in a lot of ways, although I will push back and say that the the pirates theme, the um, he's a pirate theme or what I think that's the the thing like the main theme of all those movies. It went through many iterations, and if you ask me, it took a few movies. It did take a few movies for it to like f assume its final form. Like, have have you actually like done a deep dive on those scores at all, Brad? Uh, no, it's been a while. It's been, but I do remember like walking out of that first movie, and I mean, yeah, it would have been to a two thousand three, I think. So I was around the same age when I saw Signs. I remember walking out and being like, "That's got some bangers on the soundtrack." Yeah, good memory. It was two thousand three. Um, I'm just just while we're on the topic, I'd like to throw out there that while I don't think it's a very good movie, um, the uh, the fourth Pirates movie, I think, has the best version of the theme music. And it's simply because it includes uh, some Spanish guitar that just really injects some new life into it. I do like the um, World's End version of it, the third the third iteration of the theme, um, largely because it, it feels more complete. Like it has an additional movement. It has an additional theme for the quote love theme of the movie. I never cared much for the romance in those first three movies but uh, it is given like a proper theme for like when they have their big smooch in the storm that does have a movement in the theme of it but anyway i've been rambling for a long time i don't even know where we're going with this brad so feel free to rein me in here and take oh, us somewhere else <laughs> i mean i would have pulled if i had owned pirates i would have grabbed it to talk about it um 
but I don't own it on physical media. I well, I have it on DVD, but that's in a box somewhere, so I didn't grab it. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it will never see the day of light again. Um, light of day, that is. Um, yeah, I don't own the Pirates movies either. Um, they're enjoyable. We, Brad and I have gone on record plenty of times saying Gore Verbinski is great. Gore is great. Uh, kind of miss him. Uh, he did a bang up job with those movies on a on a visual level, even if like the narratives weren't especially great. I just love looking at a lot of his movies and those are pretty visually astounding movies for their time, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, James Newton Howard is where we came from, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've always felt that he is a criminally underrated composer. Um, Waterworld, actually. Waterworld is the one that I would point to as like a, a classic, like adventure score that not a great movie by any stretch um but a fantastic score the theme music for the escaping the smokers is a piece of music everybody should listen to if they're into pulse pounding action like action adventure music kind of in the same vein as like a pirates movie or something um have you ever listened to that uh score brad no not to my knowledge I've i've never seen the movie so Ah, well, I mean, check out the movie, if only for the historic context, the historic context. Like it, it was a massive investment flop, as far as I understand. Uh, we had we had a toilet reader, like like one of those books that you would take into the bathroom with you when I was a kid. And they had a whole last chapter devoted to, 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 to the production of Waterworld. So if I know some weird shit about it. Like, I remember... Um, they used all of the steel in the Hawaiian Islands to build the floating set um, where the fir- like I think the first act of the movie largely takes place. And the funny part about a floating set is that it responds to the wind and it would disappear. They would lose the set of the film <laughs> when the winds would get high. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any anyway, water world facts. I got them. Um, but yeah. Signs. um I do love how versatile that theme is where it's the first thing that hits you before the movie even gets to you. And as you said, it carries through until the final frame of the movie, essentially. And it has so many different emotional tones that it assumes just, just through like subtle changes in the instrumentation and the tonality. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Obviously, you know, so we don't get somebody, some keyboard warrior saying something here, obviously very much inspired by psycho, but just throwing that out there. Okay. All right. We know, but we know we great know. theme on its own. Great score on its own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, Brad maybe like, hopefully you get this reference. It's not as bad as reanimator <laughs> in terms uh, of, I don't get the reference. Oh, is the, like the score. Oh, the score for yeah. Animator. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Not not the film, not the quality of the film, but like in terms of matching yeah. up with Psycho, it's not as egregious. I guess I thought you were quoting a should. movie or something. I was like, no, I don't, I, I don't know what that's from. No, okay, I, I, I got, I got if it, I was yeah. quoting a movie, I would, I would go back to the, the Jurassic Park well and say it could have been worse, John. Yeah, a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Uh, they should all be destroyed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I'm not sure if we're done there, but I'm moving on. So too yeah, bad, Brad. Okay, so uh, I'm going to... I was hoping to be more organized today, but it's just not in the cards, man. We're just, we're just going all over the place. Uh, not sure exactly why. It's something in the air. Uh, so uh, I am going to talk about a composer 
uh, who I don't see much of anymore, um, but I've brought him up on the show plenty of times. And for a stretch of time, he was kind of like my guy. Like I would see whole ass movies just because this guy's name was attached to it. The composer, that is. Um, so as I said at the top, I do have picks dating back to like when I was a very small child. Um, th these picks are going to be from when I was like middle school to high school age, probably maybe a little after high school. Yeah, definitely a couple years after high school. So 13 to like 20 year old Trevor, basically. Okay, so to dispel the mystery, I'll just go ahead and hold up uh, the movie that I haven't watched. Well, I haven't watched it on 4K yet, but I've seen this movie a billion fucking times. Uh, I have here in my hand John Woo's Face Off. Mm, Face nice. Off. Uh, starring, of course, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Um, this is one of the earliest R-rated films that I ever saw. Uh, and didn't have to be good. It's just, you know, it's one of the first. So obviously it's going to register with me on some sort of special level. And I kind of love this movie. <laughs> In fact, we're going to be talking about uh, for for the weekly show uh, this weekend. Uh, so it's spoiler alert. This is your next episode of Catching Up on Cinema. <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about this one. I know it frontwards and backwards. And um, if you're not familiar, um, dear listeners and hopefully viewers, uh, the composer of this film is John Powell. Um, who these days I think of as basically be, you know how Tim Allen basically belongs to Disney. He's, he's ba he basically belongs to the Disney corporation and has for decades now. Yeah. Um, uh, John Powell, I think of as having that same relationship, but with DreamWorks, uh, he scores most of their animated films as far as I know, or at least he did. Um, he's kind of fallen off, I think. Like he may still be doing their animated films. The only problem is I'm not watching any of those. Um, but in the late 90s, when this movie came out um, and through the mid 2000s, he was doing a lot of action movie scores and I don't own it. Um, but the Italian job was a whole ass movie that I saw in the theater. I mean, there was a girl involved, but yeah, I saw that movie in the theater just because John Powell was the composer of it. Um, so Face Off is, was my introduction to John Powell, and I love the score of this film. It's very thematic. It's very bombastic. Kind of has his trademark fusion of uh, electronics and full-ass orchestral stuff. Kind of similar to like a Hans Zimmer, although his scores tend to be more bouncy and colorful, um, whereas Hans, Hans tends to have like a, a starker sound to it. Anyway, um, but the, the big ones... Um, and I am cheating here, so I'm doing multiple picks. I'm just going to cover all my John Powell stuff all in one go here, if you don't mind. Um, the big ones that people probably know him for most are, of course, the Bourne films. Uh, he scored, I don't, act, I think James Newton Howard, uh, Brad, may have done the Jeremy Renner film. Yeah, I was just looking that up, actually. I think I, I was looking at his movies. I think I did see that there. Yeah, I don't own that movie, so I, I didn't check, but I memory serves I, I think i was disappointed by that whereas like you know it, you're trading an equivalent but still like like john powell owns these movies uh his name is attached to the jason Bourne movie um but if memory serves the guy who did the scores for the uh the arkham games the batman games I think he did most of the actual music for those movies. It, it's more just like John Powell did. He already established the core themes and stuff. So 
his, he got credit for it but i didn't i didn't feel his fingerprints on the jason bourne movie very much at all but these movies uh say what you will about their overall quality i i have mixed feelings about all of them honestly i, I think they're all somewhat flawed in a lot of ways uh these movies have amazing scores um absolutely these need to be listened to in isolation if if have you ever done that brad no i've, I've only seen the movies really once to be honest yeah, I haven't seen them that many times. I've seen scenes from these movies. These are like DVD movies to me. It's like there's a there's a select handful of sequences from each of these movies that I can watch all day, every day. Basically, anytime somebody's being punched or somebody's driving, uh, yeah, I can watch that anytime. It's all the in between bits. It's kind of like, and like most of the time, the plot. It's like I don't fucking know what's happening, but it's, it's a Paul Greengrass movie, so the editing's all like thrown into a goddamn wood chipper <laughs> and the cinematography is all over the cinematographer's drunk <laughs> um, but the music to me is what carries these and i'm not talking about the moby song <laughs> the extreme ways that closes all of them <laughs> not the biggest moby fan he did good with that james bond remake so i'll give him that um but john powell's score for all three of these movies is phenomenal um the escaping the embassy from the first one is tremendous uh the i think it's called activation um is the music it's like the the montage of all the secret agents being activated is is a banger uh the paul oakenfold did a remix of it for the uh the born video game uh from like the xbox 360 era it's also a banger um supremacy probably has like it might be the best movie and the best score of them um to the roof is like in a like one of the most amazing cues ever uh it it just like it needs to be said uh folks uh, and you too i guess Brad. <laughs> um i have a i have an intense bias towards action and and bombast and energy i like up-tempo things when it comes to music like i i can appreciate beautiful melodies i listen to them all the time but when it comes to like personal preference in general I go towards the things that have like the adrenaline pulse pounding kind of vibe to it. Um, to the roof is incredible. Um, Bim Bam Smash uh, is also incredible. I've listened to it 10,000 times or some shit. And the Born Ultimatum is a funny one because uh, a buddy of mine, he and I used to have discussions about these movies because this was back when they were still coming out. Um, he used to bitch about the Born Ultimatum being not so great like in general, but also in terms of the music, he found it to be um, recycled. And I strongly disagree with that because um, a lot of people said that about The Dark Knight Rises also, um, that the the skeleton of it, the foundation of it is 80%, 85% Batman Begins with a handful of new elements and some, some new instrumentation here and there. Uh, Born Ultimatum to me is, it is that, for the most part, but some of its some of its change ups are really special. Um, Waterloo Station, I think I think it's just called Waterloo um, on the soundtrack is a two parter that has like to use the kids terminology has some drops uh, that are just like <clears throat> like that. That's that's an action cue. And uh, Tangiers is also really special as well. Um, so these scores live in my head rent free. Um, I've loved them since I heard first heard them 
uh, the apartment fight for the board identity has been the background music for every YouTube fight scene ever made, um, dating back to like the mid 2000s, including probably some shit that I made when I was in high school. Um, last thing I'll throw out there real quick is Green Zone, also a Paul Greengrass film, also scored by John Powell, also featuring Matt Damon. Um, not a great movie. Uh, has some interesting things to say politically, uh, especially at the time. It's kind of opening the discussion for uh, you know, the, I don't know, the historic look back on the, the bungle that was the Iraq war and the Afghanistan conflict that only recently wrapped up. Um, the score for this movie, though, is very, very, very good. Um, I don't actually know the, the track um, that I'm thinking of, but the conclusion of the movie is a chase sequence that has an incredible piece of music playing over it that uh, kind of similar to my relationship with the, the Pirates 4 theme. It has an acoustic guitar that just pops up that's like, mm, I like that. <laughs> More, please. Or yeah. it, just, it just arrives on the scene and you weren't expecting it, but you're like, wow. Your, that your worked up a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, wow, that, that really sprinkled some life into that sequence, which was already great. But anyway, that's John Powell. I, I think that's most of, if not all the movies of his that I, I have. Um, but yeah, I, I've all, I really, really liked him when he was doing action movie scores these days. I don't know if he's doing much of anything, honestly. Um, real quick, just two things, basically. Um, <laughs> Your audio cut out that entire time, Trevor. <laughs> I didn't hear anything you just said. The green, what green? What's it called? Green zone. Oh, green zone. Uh, green zone. That four star rating there. I can't. I can't see it. Is that from Roger Ebert? Yes, it is. I remember him giving that four stars, very well, I... notably. Like I said, the the politics in the movie were were important for the time. The movie itself, yeah. I I wouldn't say is a four star film, like that, not by any yeah. stretch. I remember it getting mixed reviews, like you know Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, and he he gave it four stars. I said, "Oh, Rogers is laying down the hammer on this one." I mean, um, honestly, you got to give it a half, half star knock just for Jason Isaac's American accent. Yeah, it's like yeah. buddy buddy yeah. <laughs> come on man <laughs> I mean, Roger, he, he gave out some crazy ratings back in the day he did he didn't i mean zookeeper he gave a three out of four this guy i mean i i respect him because if he likes something he he didn't give a shit what anybody else thought i mean the man wrote a book called your movie sucks yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah. was it him or siskel who fa infamously liked carnosaur because that wasn't that was a thing that the one of them would jab the other one with everyone. They would weaponize that every once in a while, where they'd get into a remember. debate and they'd be like, "Motherfucker, you liked Carnosaur." Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was in a pool. <laughs> I was in a pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's it. I'm not sure. I, I to be honest, I never watched much. I don't even know when their show ended. Um, but I, I didn't watch much of his show even when he was doing it with Roper. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mostly just like read his reviews later on in his career, but, um, yeah, that's interesting. I've never seen green zone, so I, it, it's worth a look. Like yeah. if, if you're down with Paul Greengrass's style 
and Matt Damon as a selling point. And I know you like Jason Isaacs. If you want to see him with bad facial hair and doing a bad American accent, worth a look. <laughs> you will Check get some of that. Okay. All right. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. also the the plot being as you know we both lived through that that time in American history and were aware of what was going on. It is an interesting idea. It was a movie that somebody was going to make. It may as well be a guy who basically has a documentary style to begin with um has some decent action sequences as i said the score is a big selling point for me personally um but yeah i, I wouldn't say it's amazing honestly i like was it captain phillips i think is maybe better than all of these movies that i just held up <laughs> yeah i i would yeah i would say that's maybe his best movie maybe united 93 but Captain Phillips, certainly in a watchability sense, um, you know, Captain Phillips, you can throw on on a Saturday afternoon. That's that's a that's a laundry folding movie. <laughs> yeah, United 93. I don't know if I'd be able to fold laundry to that one. Um, yeah, I, I never saw United 93. Um, oh, you, well, you should, it is. It is a very good movie. You should watch it. I mean, he, he was a very good choice for that. Like, like very immediate, very visceral, very genuine kind of filmmaking yeah. is, is yeah. kind of his forte. So it, it makes sense. It, I think he's had something in the works for a very long time now. I don't know exactly what, but was it him that did uh, the news of the world or whatever? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't see that one, but you know, I'll get to it at some point maybe, but yeah, uh, John Powell, as I said, was kind of the unifying thing uh, for my end of the conversation here. I'd just like to reiterate that face off, very special movie to me personally. Very, very much like it. No, it's melodramatic as all shit. Um, but for whatever reason, it hit me at the right time. I love it. And the, the score for it really is amazing. Um, the, the the runway sequence. I don't know the name of the track. But um, I think actually I looked up a version of the score that has the track listed as Furniture. Like that's the name of the track, and to, it's been a minute since I've seen it. Like I, like I said, I'm about to rewatch it for the show. I haven't, um, but furniture. I don't, I don't remember what context that has in the film, but the track "Furniture" from Face Off is a banger. All right, <laughs> Check okay. it out. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's me, Brad. Uh, pick is to you, sir. What's your next sentimental score? All right. Well, I'll go with uh, one here that probably my newest flick my newest uh movie out of this pile um but again it's it's definitely one of my favorites and uh kind of when it came out sort of changed it changed everything let's just throw it out there uh no I, I do feel like it was a bit of a turning point in how um music was used in movies musical scores um and also how i viewed scores and listen to them and that is the social network Ooh. aka you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies <laughs> um yeah it's like live die repeat <laughs> exactly um well that's kind of kind of insight's not bad actually mm. oh, very nice very um, nice yeah but yes I, I i do love the score for this movie done obviously by uh trent reznor and atticus ross crazy that i just looked it up um that it was their first um feature film they composed and i mean it's tough to say if it's their best work because i i honestly i've kind of loved everything they've done 
but certainly this is one I come back to just for nostalgia's sake. And uh, I do like the uh, main uh, titles. I believe Hand Covers Bruise is the name of that track. But specifically for me, uh, In Motion is maybe my favorite single piece of music from any movie. It is so good. And in terms of listening to music outside of movies, that track... I guarantee it is the mo- this the track I've listened to the most from a movie outside of a movie because it's a banger. Um, <laughs> and I, it, it's like it's like perfect. I, I don't want to say it's like perfect background music, but it's like perfect, just like vibe. Like it, it was specifically when this came out, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and it was like perfect, like homework music, just like just vibes but like had that like steady and it was just like it's it's awesome and i certainly it doesn't help it doesn't hurt that it's in a david fincher movie and obviously he's a great director and there i think there is something to be said um for these uh scores having good films associated with them because Obviously, kind of like subconsciously, when you're listening to this music separately, you're thinking about that the scenes that it's associated with. And if it's a great scene, it makes the music even better. Um, kind of like, you know, like not so much anymore, but back in the day, like a great music video could like elevate a song, you know, even better than it actually is. Um, and I, I, I just uh, I, I love the work that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do. Um, maybe it's actually been a scourge on the, on the movie industry because we've gotten so many, uh, imitation, imitators, composers, these composers (laughs) who try to be like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and they're not like them. And, uh, I, I, I do feel like it was a little bit of a change from the, the more, um, melodic kind of like classic movie scores and i'm sure that change had been happening for a while but i feel like this is the one movie that i would point to that has kind of like maybe was the connective tissue between what scores were like 20 30 years ago versus what scores are now i feel like this one was a pretty big influence on how scores are done today wow uh i I'm familiar with their work, but actually, when I think about it now, I don't know that I've actually listened to Atticus and and Trent Reznor. I don't know that I've listened to their scores in isolation before. Um, but it sounds like I should do that because uh, if if there's any composers I I listen to their score in isolation, it's these guys. I tell you what. Uh, what was man. the name of the track that you said you've listened to, to more than uh, anything? In Motion. In motion from the it, social it's, network. It's the track that plays like it's early in the movie when they're sort of drafting. I forget like uh, when they're like getting the website set up with comparing the girls, and it's being cross cut with like the uh, girls showing up on the bus at the like uh, fraternity party. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but it's in that sequence, um, and it's good. It is good. Yeah, I've only seen it the one time. Uh, it's been a very long time. Uh, I, I kind of have that relationship with a lot of Fincher films, actually, where I've been impressed with every single one of them. He's an excellent filmmaker, but I don't often come back to his movies. Uh, Seven has been one that I've been 
trying to like crawl my way back to for a very long time. And we have a running gag on catching up on cinema about Zodiac being just this inescapable force that if it's on, you just, you have to watch it. Like it's like boogie nights. If, if boogie nights is on, you're staying, you're going to, you're going to hang out. You're going to finish it. Yep. Um, absolutely. But even still, I think, I think I've only seen Zodiac twice, even though we have that, that joke about it. Um, but yeah, I really ought to sit down and actually listen to their stuff, especially because I have the luxury of being able to listen to music while I'm working. And when I when I think of Fincher's scores, I tend to think I tend to think two two parallel thoughts actually. And maybe you can weigh in on this because you I I'm going to guess that you're much more familiar with his filmography than I am. In fact, I know that. Um, I think industrial as in like actual industrial sounds like like heavy metallic clanging kind of noises like think like blue man group but metal instead of plastic mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but then i also think like ambient electronic drawing droning where it's not so it's almost like a melodic where it's, it's just like a vibe it's just a presence in the room that really lends something special to the edit to the presentation of the film but in isolation is more just like a a drone i guess am i on to something here or am i grossly incorrect <laughs> yeah no I, I i see i get what you're saying for sure um i'm trying to think because honestly in terms of his scores i i definitely know this movie the best um i the score for the killer uh was a little bit more of the like the just kind of like droning sort of sort of thing like I, yeah. I don't remember anything very melodic about it but i i did like that and i did just watch that movie so that one's kind of fresh in my mind we almost um, reviewed it but i did end up watching it i think kyle and i both ended up watching it but we didn't end up reviewing it mm -hmm. very yeah. good though yeah so like i can't really think like the score for zodiac i can't even think i don't even know who who did that or it's kind of it's escape is there even a score there's got to be an original score to the movie i can't I will look it up, but actually, off the top of my head, I have no idea. Like, I don't think of that as a movie with music, like you said. I, I think yeah. of it. It's so dialogue and 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 mood driven that I, I mm -hmm. don't even really have the capacity to like think of the music associated with it. No, not the Zodiac. Why is it, why is Google betraying me? <laughs> That's some other bullshit that came out like a year or two before or something. Um. But yeah, like when it comes to the industrial sound that I was alluding to, um, David Shire is listed as the composer for Zodiac. I have no idea who that is. I'll have to keep looking. But um, uh, Elliot Goldenthal did the score for uh, Alien 3, which I do know is a film that David Fincher has essentially disowned. I, I think his name is still on it, but he very seldom talks about it as far as I understand. Um, but that one has that one has kind of an industrial vibe to it. But that was so long ago. And artists yeah. evolve, artists change. I mean, probably the best example would be, um, and it's not original score because I think it's um, what's the what song is it? But the opening titles of Seven. Yeah, it's a Nine Inch Nails song, like yes. remixed. Like, yeah, what, I can't think of what song it is though. Uh, he wants to fuck you like an animal, Brad. Oh, closer, yeah. Closer. <laughs> We got there. <laughs> For some reason, all I was thinking, I could only think of hurt, but I'm like, it's not hurt because that didn't. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. And I mean, 
Fincher, like many of his contemporaries, as far as I know, he started in uh, what commercials and music videos. Yeah, like like so many of his contemporaries did the same thing. Like I think Tarsum's thing was the same deal, and Michael Bay, obviously. Um, so it's no surprise that he would straight up just use a licensed song. Um, and he also did the same thing with what the Led Zeppelin, the um, uh, what's the track they used for the girl with dragon tattoo? Oh, uh, immigrant song, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 The opening sequence of that one as well. And that's right. Um, while, while I don't think he used a licensed piece of music, maybe he did. Um, the killer also has kind of that music video vibe to begin the movie. And then it turns into what it actually is. <laughs> it's kind of a false advertisement for, for the mouth breathers who thought they were getting into a born movie. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> not quite. I mean, there is a banger of a fight sequence in there. Spoiler alert. Oh, but it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I really need to look into their work because I know they're I know they're incredible composers. I just have never actually sat down to listen to it in isolation. So I guess that's my starting point is in motion. It's a good, it's a good one to start with, for sure. I mean, if you said it's good to study to, uh, if it if it gets you if it gets you in the groove, it get, if it slots you into that vibe, um, maybe I can stop listening to that YouTube channel with the anime girl with the headphones and the kitty. <laughs> I, I would say I would say you can you can put that one aside for now. <laughs> Should just start listening to the One Piece theme on on repeat or whatever. <laughs> Wonder how many yeah. theme songs that show has had. I mean, being as it's like over a thousand episodes or whatever, like they yeah. they had to have changed that sucker out, like at least once a decade. Hopefully, I would think so. I, would think so. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised, man. Dragon Ball Z was on TV for a long time, and I think they only had two theme songs the whole time. In Transformers, they at least had like four different versions of the same damn thing, and. Mm -hmm. The third and fourth version, there's a guy that's going ha at you the whole time. He just keeps going ha ha ha. <laughs> it's like change it up a little bit. It's like I mean, I know it's Saturday morning, and I should probably get woken up, but that's that's not good for anybody. <laughs> it's like I got Captain Crunch to help me with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, I suppose the pick is to me, uh, and I'm gonna. You said you were what, like high school age when you saw the Social Network uh, yeah, for the first yeah. time? I was in high school. All right. Well, I guess we're st sticking in high school. Uh, so far, it's all been high school picks. I'm really hoping to find an excuse to dig a little deeper uh, or just dip into a different time period. But um, this is one that like I so seldom talk about, but I was really trying to commit to being honest with my picks here. Like I I, I grabbed a lot of shit, Brad. I'm not going to show all of it on the on the speed round when we do our conclusion, because we'll be here all fucking day. <laughs> Um, but my whole concept here um, was I really wanted to be honest with my picks, regardless of how that makes me look. Online. Coco <laughs> Melon? Coco Melon? Melon? Yeah. I mean, all the all the kids born in 87, they're all about the Coco Melon. <laughs> I just made a goddamn Transformers reference, Brad. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, these are movies that probably like. These days, I don't think of them very often, but at a certain point in my life, they were like the most important shit. Ever. Like they were they were the coolest shit that ever shitted. Uh, so to dispel the mystery, I have here on Blu-ray, not 4K, um, the Ultimate Matrix Collection. Mm. It's a very handsome Blu-ray package, by the way. Uh, includes the Animatrix as well, I believe. Yes, it does. Uh, so this is the Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, uh, and the Animatrix, 
um, all of course directed by the Wachowskis. Um, the Matrix, I believe, came out in 99, um, and I was 12. Um, and I, I distinctly remember the ad campaign for The Matrix being labored. Like, like it was teased way before it came out. And I remember the whole marketing tagline of what is the matrix and all that. But I was so distracted by the action featured in those teaser trailers of uh, Carrie Ann Moss swinging uh, past the explosion and all the bullet time effects, which in 1999 were just like amazeballs kind of shit. Um, and so much of, of the things that these movies had at that point in my life were the things that I would consider the coolest shit ever. It's like I, I played fucking Doom a whole bunch when I was a kid. GoldenEye was my bread and butter on the Nintendo 64 and stuff. So like the gunplay, the martial arts stuff, like remember Jackie Chan had hit American shores only four years uh, prior to the release of The Matrix. And this was kind of a natural evolution of that, incorporating an actual Hong Kong choreographer uh, and training regimen into the production of the fight scenes and stuff in the form of Yun Wu Ping. Um, and just on an aesthetic level and in terms of like the action innovation, like regardless of all the themes and the storytelling, which were quite good in these movies, just the, the presentation of the action and stuff was what really resonated with me on a different level for these movies. Um, and we're talking about score, so I'll, I'll cut to the chase here. Uh, the scores for these movies, uh, I'm I'm excluding the Animatrix from this discussion. I have, I don't have a whole lot to say about. Honestly, I've seen it like once. Um, <laughs> can't tell if Brad's trying to keep himself awake or if he's actually having thoughts and reactions. No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm shocked. You've only seen the Animatrix once, huh? I mean, I'm yeah, I've never even seen it. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> so, um, Don Davis uh, is the composer of all of these films. Um, and he does something that I call the sprawl in these movies, where it's basically just like a it's, it's like a funnel of brass where it goes and it just like stretches on and on and on it. it it's a beautiful accompaniment. Like it feels cheesy, but on an audio visual level, it marries to the edit of the film really well, where anytime there's slow motion or bullet time or what have you, they incorporate that sound over the like it overlays the action it marries with it very nicely um score for the first film is almost entirely orchestral um with the exception of a few contemporary pieces of music like say uh dragula from rob zombie finds its way into the soundtrack for the movie yeah. at one point <laughs> dig, yeah. dig through the ditches baby <laughs> but um the score for the second and the third film is something that I'm curious, Brad, if you can think of another example of this, but it's really, it's just really neat what they did it, it, just on paper. Like, like the end results to me are beautiful, but on, on like on paper, the concept was they basically had Don Davis compose an or orchestral score for the film quite ably at that. But then they also incorporated like electronica artists, like electronic music musicians, uh, Juno Reactor and I believe Rob Dugan um, are also featured on the soundtrack for the film, on the score. And they actually marry their composition. They overlay their compositions. They basically remixed the orchestral compositions that Don Davis did for the score. And as as such, you you have kind of like a, it has almost like a jam session kind of vibe. It's, it's really beautiful stuff where 
there is a full orchestra playing, but then there's also an electronica band playing on top of the orchestra. And it just, it enhances everything and it fits the vibe perfectly. Um, so as a result, say what you will about The Matrix Reloaded. I think it's a stupendous action film. F fucking hard to follow. Very hard to give a fuck about, <laughs> honestly, on a narrative level. But in terms of the action innovation and the ambition on display, just the ambition of the filmmaking, really incredible stuff. And then you have tracks like uh, Furious Angels by Rob Dugan. Just I had that shit on repeat. It only plays in the finished film like for a minute but it's an awesome piece of music. Um, by the way, he also had a track called, uh, I think it's called Club to Death, um, which is featured in a lot of movie trailers around that time and also the first film. Um, I actually know that track specifically. Um, that's that is, that's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, kind of, it, it has the correct vibe for the late 90s. Like, it, it just seems correct for that that time period, honestly, in terms of, like, advertising and whatnot. Um, also, the the Burly Brawl, like, they aptly named Burly Brawl um, by Juno Reactor and Don Davis is a tremendous piece of music. Same with Mona Lisa Overdrive, awesome piece of music. The fucking Tea House has a, has a Japanese taiko drummer playing with the, orchest with the orchestra. Awesome stuff. Matrix Revolutions, I don't have that much to say about, honestly, in terms of its music. But the the soundtrack, the score um, for The Matrix Reloaded, uh, I think I was like 16 when it came out. Um, and yeah, I just there was a couple of action tracks from that movie, I think all of which I just listed off that I just had on on repeat on my I didn't have an MP3 player at the time. I think I actually still had a CD player. Um, I just listen to that shit over and over and over again. So if I'm being really, really, really honest with myself, um, that is a score that I listen to an absurd amount of times, even if I would never defend it as being a brilliant movie aside from the action. Yeah. Do you know what happened? Uh, like, what's the deal with Don Davis? Like, I'm looking no. at his, his, uh, his uh, resume here, and he's just, like, dropped off. I don't know what, what the deal is. Yeah, I it's not a name. That's that's a name I've not heard since. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't think of a, a contemporary score that he did, including, I think, the new Matrix movie. Um, yeah, it uh, looks like after the Matrix, um, he did <laughs> the Marine, the John Cena film, uh, which features the invincible cop car. Uh, if you've not seen the Marine, um, it features an invincible cop car. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be stopped, much like John Cena. He is both unstoppable and invisible. You cannot see him. Um, Tokyo Ghoul um, looks like a live action adaptation of the video game. And then something called Beyond the Sky. What did this man do wrong? Like, who did yeah, he wrong? Something, Something's up here. I don't know what the deal is, but... I mean, he's still very much working, um, kind of. I mean, 2019 was the last thing he did, and he's only listed as the orchestrator for Marriage Story from 2019. So he's not the composer. Maybe he's just taking it easy. Maybe he's just, ta maybe he's just taking that Matrix money and going home. Maybe. I also think maybe he's spending uh, time editing his own Wikipedia page because there's a little bit of editorializing here, if uh, you allow me to read this. Uh, 
It says Davis's magnum opus is the Matrix franchise. The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions, and The Animatrix. It was set apart from other film scores of its time for its atonality and avant-garde style of composition, but a little, uh, little editorializing in there. Not, not a very objective Wikipedia page, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that the person who wrote that particular portion of the Wikipedia page uh, may own a duster or two. Uh, they may, in fact, live in cyberspace, for all we know. They, they may be in the Matrix. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's not a household name, uh, but he he works for the Matrix. And what's more, it's it's a weird thing to say, but like his, I kind of made fun of his his choice of of having that that sprawling brass sound in in those movies but it is a signature like on just on a like a musical level there is a sound that you think of when you think matrix i don't actually know who composed that most recent one but all three of all three of those original trilogy of matrix films there is a very very specific sound that i associate with them and I think that's really important for for standing out from the crowd is like, even if it doesn't work for everybody, at least it's distinct. And you can't say that for every composer out there. It's true. Yeah. So, you know, more power to him. Don Davis. Hope he's hope he's having a great time uh, with his uh, his wife, um, Megan, and the, the two children that they have together. And uh yeah. I mean, he's he's plus his time between Southern California and British Columbia, so can't be doing too bad. He's got two homes. Yeah, these are facts that Brad just just knows. He is a scholar on Don yeah. Davis. Requires no assistance from the internet whatsoever to know these factoids. <laughs> okay, Brad. Well, that was uh, Don Davis in the Matrix film. Uh, pick is to you, sir. What's your next uh, sentimental score? Uh, I guess I'll just get this one out of the way an obvious one but it's kind of one so obvious i gotta bring it up um it's embarrassing because i only have this one on blu-ray um i just don't own the 4k it's extra embarrassing because the blu-ray does not look very good but i haven't watched it in a while so probably next time i watch it i will buy the 4k but anyway uh it is jurassic park which is one of my favorite movies Probably my favorite John Williams score. I haven't seen Schindler's List in a while, but uh, I'm a little, I'm, I'm still shocked that this wasn't Oscar nominated, this score. Um, but maybe Schindler's List is a better score. I don't know. It's been a while. But anyway, I just want to point out how this score is so good, in my opinion, that I think there are, you know, it's like every movie wants to have its theme you know it's the theme that people hum and associate with the movie it gets in their heads they sing they always associated with the movie i think jurassic park has two themes that are that good i think they have each of their themes are better than nearly every other movie's main theme and it's got two of them specifically you have obviously a theme from jurassic park but also <laughs> obviously um but also, I would argue, and I think it is uh, maybe even, I, I think I actually prefer it. Um, it is, oh, I had it here. Where was it? Uh, th so you got theme from Jurassic Park, and I believe uh, Journey to the Island. 
is the other one. Yes, Journey to the Island. And maybe I'm alone in this because I'm on Spotify now, and I'm <laughs> looking at the uh, numbers here. Maybe it's maybe it's also Welcome to Jurassic Park. Maybe it plays in both. But obviously, the theme from Jurassic Park is the you know da 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 da. But I also like if you were to like stop me on the street one day and say, what is the theme from Jurassic Park? There's a 50-50 chance that I wouldn't sing that theme. I would I would go, which I think is an amazing piece of music. And uh, I think it's like as good as the main theme from Jurassic Park, not even better. Also, you've got the whole, uh um dennis steal what's the title dennis steals the embryo uh, of course when newman is you know escaping and you got the like the little like plucky like it's a great score and uh certainly helps that it's one of my favorite movies of all time one that i grew up watching um but yeah i would argue that it's uh it's up there as uh one of john williams best i mean it's hard to argue against the star wars scores obviously but uh maybe aside from those it might be my favorite all right well i was waiting for this to happen because it was inevitable john williams was somebody was going to pull the trigger on williams it's, it's gonna happen um i so, will just i not to interrupt you i think this is the only john williams movie i grabbed okay hot take, hot take. i mean that's what I was asking for, Brad. That's what I was hoping. It was like only pick what what sincerely is special to oh, you. I lied. I, I grabbed one more. <laughs> Remember when I said I had one John Williams pick? I lied. I'll, I'll get this. Uh, so I also grabbed Home Alone. Yep. Wow. Yes, you're damn right. You did. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's like your favorite fucking movie, and it yeah. is a beautiful fucking score. He made a goddamn Christmas Carol. Yeah, he exactly. invented a Christmas Carol for that fucking movie. That that's one that like the the music in Home Alone is so good that I it, it like transcends being part of that movie. Where like I have to take a step back and be like, no, this was this is not music that's been around for Christmases for decades. This has only been around since Home Alone. Yeah, in, in within our lifetimes, that shit plays in department stores, man. Mm -hmm. Like it it is a brand new Christmas Carol in innovated within our lifetimes. It's pretty, pretty impressive stuff. I mean, shit that happens all the time. Now that every artist under the sun is obligated to do a Christmas album at some point when business is slow. Um, but yeah, the Christmas star is, it's great. Like with the children's choir and all that stuff and operation ho, 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 or whatever. Um, it's funny. Cause like most of my nostalgia is for home alone too. Um, but the uh, the planning music, like the setting the trap music for both films is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Like it, it has a very unique sound to John Williams. Like it incorporates some some more playfulness and some instrumentation that is somewhat unique among his discography. Um, but yeah, I, I was really excited when you brought up John Williams, because now this opens that just opens the door to him. So we can just make this the John Williams part of the discussion because i'll tell you right now that i also hold I, it says jurassic world which i think uh michael jack giacchino uh did the score for jurassic world if not all the jurassic world films 
I'm really just talking about Jurassic Park. Like, really. That and The Lost World, also. The Lost World... Some good themes in The Lost World, for sure. Well, Lost World has some excellent action cues, in particular. Um, it has its own unique theme. Like, the movie itself has a theme music, like a theme track that, that is incorporated into most of the score, um, as well as the old theme from the original film. Uh, Lost World, I would defend as being an excellent score as well. Could be wrong, but maybe Don Davis did Jurassic Park 3? He did. I I had looked at. I mean, I know that off the top of my head. Yes, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow, we're 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 podcasters. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jurassic Park is a phenomenal score, uh, even among his his greatest hits. Uh, case in point, they play that shit at like the Fourth of July and New Year's. Like it, it's a it's something that a lot of kids in my at my middle school were playing on the piano that didn't play instruments, but they knew how to pound out the first few bars of that one. Um, it's it's magical. It's special, uh, just like the movie itself. Um, and you're right about the theme. There are, there are two separate themes. It's kind of like um, it's like Layla. It's like the, the Eric Clapton or Derek and the Dominoes, if you want to get specific track, where there's two separate movements to it. There's the mm -hmm. loud, bombastic part, and then there's the piano part of it that follows afterwards. Um, both are great, but of course, the, the one that sticks in my mind is just like you, the, the louder, more triumphant one. Yeah. Um, but what were you about to say there, Brad? I was going to say the music from Jurassic Park is so good that in middle school, I was in band and we did we we played the theme from Jurassic Park. And uh, we got the music and everyone was so excited. That's like, oh, we love this music. We're going to learn how to play Jurassic Park. And we we got our parts and everybody except for the trumpets was pissed because they get the main melody and everyone was so mad. We're, we were like, what the hell is this background trash? We're just, you know, we're we don't get to learn the act, how to play the theme on our saxophones or whatever. Everyone's mad. And so we bullied <laughs> the uh, conductor into giving us all the melody. <laughs> And so then he was like, because everybody was asking, I'm giving you all the melody. We're just going to try this. And he gave it. We all got sheet music for the melody for each instrument. So even, you know, the tuba had the, the melody. <laughs> we played it once. We tried it once and it sounded so bad. When it's just a cacophony of sound. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah. but that uh, shows how good that music is everybody wanted the melody yeah i mean it's it's, it's great no it's it's fantastic and, and on top of that it's not just it's not just a theme like you'll find that a lot of the a lot of the ones that i picked do come down to just like a handful of tracks that are special to me it's not like the whole the entirety of the soundscape mm -hmm. jurassic park is a very complete thought like it it has everything like it, it has the, the Dennis Nedry stealing the embryos music. It's got themes for the kids. It's got themes for Ellie. It's got themes for all manner. Of, it's got everything. It's very well-rounded in that way. Um, but yeah, uh, while we're on the topic, I may as well toss it out there so I don't have to devote an entire pick to it. Jaws. It's a truly amazing film, truly amazing score. Very, very, very special to me. Uh, I watched it a lot with my dad, who is very much still alive. It's, it's very difficult when I have to phrase things like in the past tense. He's still around. I could still watch Jaws. I could watch Jaws with him tomorrow. 
although that's a lie because he's out of town. Um, but Jaws was very, very special to me. Uh, my dad was a fisherman uh, when I was like before I was born. So he knows all about all that nautical shit. Um, whereas I'm more of a Chief Brody type. I don't know shit about the scene. <laughs> um, but Jaws is amazing. And John Williams' score for it is amazing. Also, I don't have it, but Superman is kind of interesting because the main theme for that also plays on the 4th of July and at New Year's in this country anyway. Um, and it, it's kind of a medley. Um, it has three or four different movements it goes through where it has like the the Superman theme. It has Superman on the job. It has Lois and Clark. It, it, it goes through several different motions. So kind of similar to the Jurassic Park theme. It takes on different tonalities. It, it, it has more than one face to it, I guess. Excellent theme music, though. But the big one for me is probably Indiana Jones, honestly. Um, these this trilogy of films can't speak for the other two, honestly. Um, but the trilogy, the first three, uh, also kind of similar to The Matrix for me. Uh, there were certain tracks from those first three films that I listened to on endless re repeat. The Sherzo for Motorcycle Chase, Brad. Have you ever listened to that in isolation? I don't think I, not in isolation. No, uh, it's the it's the action beat in the Last Crusade where it's it's father and son escaping the Nazis on on motorcycle. Mm -hmm. uh, the the piece of music is called Sherzo for Motorcycle Chase, I believe. F fucking brilliant! Uh, it, for a, for a scene that was apparently a reshoot, one of the best pieces of music in that whole movie, if you ask me. And also the. Uh, the belly of the beast, I think, is what it's called. Uh, the, tr the tank sequence, obviously, <laughs> uh, from the Last Crusade, also great. Temple of Doom, amazing stuff. Very, very unique. Uh, very unique instrumentation and use of choir. Not something he does all the time. Um, yeah, John Williams is fucking special. Jurassic Park is also very special. Uh, I, I was telling Brad uh, before the mics heated up. Uh, Kyle gifted me uh, Schindler's List on 4K. Not sure why exactly. But I haven't seen it, and that's probably all the reason he needed, honestly. Um, I'm very interested to hear the music to that because I know I know the core theme of it. Um, I did listen to a lot of Itzhak Perlman at one point in my life. Um, a lot of his klezmer stuff. I, I like klezmer music. It, it's, it's fun, it, or it can be fun anyway. And I know his work, and I know that he's he's a featured uh, violinist on, on the film. Um, and I, I obviously I know the core theme of it, so I'm very interested to hear that because that's not a it's not like what I immediately think of when I think of John Williams's sound. But I do know it's a highly respected score among his his body of work. That, oh, that's all you got, man. I thought you were going to like pull off like 20 movies right here. No, I, I, I was conservative. I, I went with the okay. ones that were actually, you know, particular to me, like special to me. But Home, yeah. Home Alone, I, I was really hoping you'd pull Home Alone because I, I knew I knew you had it. Like, yeah, and I know it's special yeah. to you and it, it is a fantastic score. I mean, listen, I don't want to be negative. You know, nowadays you get thrown in podcasting jail for being saying anything bad about anybody. But um, I mean, John Williams, I don't know. Last uh, I mean, obviously he's old. He can do whatever he wants. He can retire. But um like his new uh, his recent Star Wars trilogy, the new Indiana Jones flick. Got to be I mean I haven't re-listened to them or listened to them in isolation, but 
pretty disappointed, if I'm being honest, in uh, th- those last uh, few outputs from him. Yeah, I I saw Indy 5. I saw Dial of Destiny in the theater because you gotta. I mean, it, it's Indy in the theater. I've only had one opportunity to do that previously, and that one sucked. <laughs> so it's like we got to give it another swing, you know. Um, I saw that in the theater, and I I didn't walk away with any earworms. Like I, I didn't walk away with any pieces of music that were memorable. Um, I will say that his uh, his Star Wars films, the most recent trilogy, um, his theme for Ray is quite good. That's that's the only track that stands out to me out of all three of those movies yeah and and you know from a production standpoint i guess if you're going to nail any one new theme contributed to those films that's the one to nail and it is very good it's also very versatile on top of that so i i I will give him that um i remember the uh the resistance theme being kind of jarring and strange to me something about the tone of it just didn't fit right it felt different for the sake of being different it didn't fit the it didn't fit the vibe that felt appropriate to me um so yeah it, he's he's at the tail end of things he could hang it up anytime i think i read that indy 5 was maybe the end of the road for him um but i mean i don't think anybody's more decorated a composer <laughs> in the history of american film anyway so you know he can do whatever he wants <laughs> Yeah, he's still getting Oscar nominations for this mediocrity he's putting out too. So he's laughing his way to the to the stage. <laughs> yeah, Indy Five. You are we, are we joking here, or is this well, a joke? I think that's more pointing the finger at the current state of film scores. At least to clarify, mainstream like blockbuster film scores, because quite a lot of the movies that I have set out in front of me are exactly that. This is consumer cinema. This is an art house shit on art house level. There's amazing stuff being done, both in terms of like overall quality of filmmaking and also scoring. Mm -hmm. Like there's really good scores out there. They're just not in movies that most of us are seeing myself included. But like in terms of like mainstream, like blockbuster, uh, like action blockbuster kind of scores they're not good man no. and i i said this uh, i said this the other day uh, on the, on the show that i have a theory that maybe it has something to do with the the amount of post production that's required to make one of those films now cuz actually i was just reading an article um from the fucking 80s uh about uh, Jerry Goldsmith having difficulty working on an animated film because he didn't have the movie like he didn't have the movie available to him to score to like in terms of his timing he didn't have the material so he was like how the fuck do you want me to pull this magic trick how can i score how can i time something to an edit that doesn't exist and when i think of the way blockbusters are made nowadays where we're outsourcing individual shots to individual cgi animation studios from across the globe you're working from animatics and and you don't have the movie until five minutes before the movie's due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like from a from a composition standpoint, like it must be very difficult to 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 do something highly ambitious and and technical and precise because that that's always been like one of the most amazing aspects of John Williams's scores is how wonderfully it it marries 
with the visual presentation in the movie. There's so many flourishes in his scores. Like, it, you know what I'm talking about? The flight of flutes that plays that just punctuates the action on the screen so beautifully. Mm-hmm. It must be, it just must be really hard to get those moments. Like, like, like you used to be able to, like when you, when what you shot was what you had, and then it just becomes a matter of assembling it after the fact. I don't know. I'm talking out my ass, but no, yeah, it's just, seems like there's just no good melodies in uh like you know melodic themes in these blockbusters and you know everything's a lot more just kind of like rhythmic i guess like there's just kind of like a you know just a a, like everything's just chugging along sort of thing like you you know moving the like momentum within the score and no like actual melody within the score um which is uh it's a bummer It's, it's unfortunate yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of it feels very generic. It feels like there, there's there's a beat, there's a pace to it, but there's no soul, kind of. It's just like, I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet. Maybe it will. I'm not sure. But like, we've been dancing around it since the beginning of this conversation. Uh, Batman Begins and the Dark Knight really did change action scores for a, maybe still to this day, where is kind of the baseline for every action piece of music written since those movies came out. But, you know, beyond that, it's like, you know, there's also other elements going on in those scores as well. It's like, you need more than that. (laughs) Those movies have been a scourge on cinema. They've been an absolute scourge. You were here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have them sitting at my feet. I could bust them out at any time. Uh, I want to. I really do. Because if I'm being honest with myself, I listen to them a lot. Very good scores. But anyway, what uh, pick is to me, I think? Uh, yeah, that was mine. Yeah. Okay. Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny. <laughs> hey, Johnny. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, shit. Um, what am I going to do? You know what? Let's do it. You know, I already we already started with Hans. Let's carry on with Hans. So we're back in high school. We're back in high school. So we already know what I'm going to pull up. But you don't know. You don't know what I'm going to pull up. Uh, So it's all going to be Hans. All Hans all day. Same Hans time. Same Hans network or whatever. I don't remember how the Adam West Batman thing said that. But um. My path, my journey with Hans. Uh, I kind of have it here in my hand. Uh, my journey with Hans, I believe, began with a movie that I actually just watched last night. Um, Broken Arrow. Mm, well, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yes, This is John Woo's second American film. Uh, stars John Travolta, who he's worked with a few times, and Christian Slater, who he has also worked with a few times. He was also in Wind Talkers, um, the World War II movie. I only have it on DVD. I, if I want to watch this movie again, and that may be an if at this point, because it's not, it's a three out of five. It's not great. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's fine. Um, I should upgrade this to Blu-ray uh, because this DVD is hideous, Brad. This this would you would puke in your lap. Um, so you know how movies are often letterboxed, much like the app that you should oh, definitely be using, exactly dear listeners and viewers. So it's it should be it should be yay wide. It's like this. 
it's like I'm I'm watching a hamburger in the middle of my screen. <laughs> Yeah. So there, what the fuck is this? There's, there's black bars above and to the side is what you're saying, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is and the brutal. resolution was terrible. Brutal. Like it, it wasn't even upscaled even a little. Like it, it was hideous. Anyway, this movie's okay. Probably the first movie I remember seeing, though, with Hans Zimmer doing the score. Uh, and it was from the mid 90s. So it was highly electronic. That was very much his sound at the time. And this is going to be something that I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep pressing on because that's something that's a time period of his filmography that I think is not often talked about or, or thought about anymore because he's come so far. But the man was married to his fucking synthesizer. I think of him as a, a contemporary of Harold Faltermeyer, uh, the guy who did the uh, Top Gun and uh, Beverly Hills Cop theme. He likes his synthesizer. Uh, case in point, uh, Black Rain. Uh, kind of a neat film. Uh, apparently, Ridley Scott kind of hated making it, though. Uh, he hated shooting in Japan. Uh, there's a lot of regulation that goes into being a film, like a foreign film production in Japan, especially in the 80s. Uh, kind of a neat little cop and robber story that takes place in Japan, though. It's nothing amazing, but there are some banger action pieces in that. Um, one of which is apparently uh, it's a it's a discarded cue. Um, it's I think it's just called Bike Fight, <laughs> um, which is a great title. It's much like um, the Transporter Two. Brad has a track on its soundtrack called Jet Boxing, which when I saw that I was like, that is the most amazing title to a piece of music <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. Then I watched the movie and I listened to the music and it was it was not great. It just goes. It sounds like a Bourne movie, basically. And the jet boxing amounts to two people tackling each other on a plane that is rolling, I think. Um, anyway, Black Rain is worth mentioning. Backdraft is really worth mentioning. Uh, have you seen Backdraft, Brad? No, but I know of the score. I know a lot of people like the score for that one. Yeah, uh, it gets brought up a lot. It has used. It has been used for a lot of trailers from from the 90s, as far as I recall. Um, highly versatile track, um, incorporates a lot of qu choir and uh, orchestra, but also has an electronic vibe going on with it. Um, some really beautiful music in this one. The, the kind of similar to your Jurassic Park thing. Um, there's two pieces of music that conclude the film um, that are like two halves of a greater whole. The, the, the one-two punch of them is... Um, incredible i think it's uh, i think it's called fahrenheit followed by show me your fire truck um those two tracks are astounding like like truly amazing stuff i've listened to a million fucking times and this movie was a huge fucking deal when it came out i didn't get to it until a few years later because i was like seven or something when it hit theaters but the marketing for this movie was huge so i was well aware of it and i was very excited to check it out I have a soft spot for backdraft. I really do. Um, it's highly melodramatic, but I, I kind of like that. Sometimes. It's a fucking movie. Like it's just gonna, it doesn't have to be realistic. I want Kurt Russell to, to punch Billy Baldwin because they're brothers. That's what brothers do, right? <laughs> um, one that needs to be mentioned, Gladiator. This, this score was life-changing kind of shit um, for me anyway, for me and like my circle of friends. Uh, the Barbarian Horde. All you need is the Barbarian Horde. That piece of music from this movie. As soon as, soon as like, Maximus's theme 
kicks in, it's just, it's just like, yep, this is cinema. Uh, greatly crowd-pleasing, rousing film, rousing score on top of that. I know it was controversial for, for getting Best Picture, but it is it is it is a crowd pleasing film, um, and the score is also tremendous. And I want to say this was like one of the big ones for pushing Hans Zimmer into the mainstream. Uh, certainly with me, anyway. Like this is where it's like, oh, that's a sound I I haven't heard everywhere, but I think I'm about to. And sure enough, yeah, that this was kind of the turning point. Uh, I was like 13 when this movie came out, and a friend of mine had it on DVD, and uh, we watch the fuck out of it um so this one is one that i think about a lot and funny enough this kind of has a similar uh thing going for it that brad kind of started this conversation off with about hans where there's people who work under hans who don't often get talked about who probably should um and this act this feller um it's a it's a twofer i think i think there's like 15 people uh that are given attribution for this score. Like, I think there's a shit ton of people whose names are associated with this because it's very hard to pin down who wrote this bitch. But um, this fella, Nikki Glennie Smith uh, and Hans Zimmer did The Rock. Those are the two big names, but I think there were several other people also involved. Um, he also scored Fire Down Below, uh, Nick Glennie Smith, that is, uh, which is a movie we reviewed just two weeks ago, which is part of why it's on my mind. But this score brad i feel like this kind this score almost like changed the whole fucking world because every all roads lead to the rock when it comes to action movie scores from this time period from like just after the mid 90s the sound of the rock is inescapable uh and it's also kind of incredible but it's also kind of hideous <laughs> what i mean by that is if you watch the rock if you are brave enough to watch The Rock, the the way that the score is edited into the film, it you can hear Michael Bay like wrestling with the fucking film and just like ripping and tearing at it with his bare goddamn hands. Like they they throw it into a wood chipper and then they throw those scraps into I don't know a fucking lawnmower and then they feed it to Jaws who then shits it out and then Michael Bay throws it back into the editing machine because <laughs> it's fucking nuts. Like this score is a mangled mess and it is impossible, impossible to find in a, in, in like a correct form, like online. Like if you try to look up the score for this film in isolation, you cannot, it can't be done. Like, like there's always imperfection. It's, there's, it's been scrubbed. No, it, you can find it, but but it's never exactly what's in the film because the way the film is edited is madness. <laughs> the, the edit job on The Rock is madness. So what you have is a series of suites. You have Hans Zimmer, who often does this, actually. You have him like composing like 10-minute chunks of music that feature waves of themes for various activities or characters and then i'm guessing maybe it was requested that the score be composed that way so michael bay could rip it to shreds when it comes to making the visual end of the film so it's a very strange score to listen to in isolation where it's like none of it is going to be evocative of of the movie itself it's more just here's a collection of themes 
some of which happened during the during the scenes you may remember. There are a handful of instances where it's it's more straightforward, like the chase, the car chase in the middle of the film is pretty much what you get in the finished film. But then there's all the shit with the Navy SEALs and the Marines and stuff where it's just like, we're just we're just grabbing themes and just throwing them into the movie willy nilly. It, it's madness. <laughs> but the sound of this of the score to me, is, it's like it, it was a turning point. It, it spawned a whole host of of imitators. The score for this music, uh, for this film rather, is featured in countless like Newgrounds video games and animations and shit. I can't tell you how many rounds of Counter Strike or whatever I played with people blaring this over their fucking headsets and stuff. The score for The Rock is special to a lot of people, and it's probably overlooked and underrated today. But at the time, it was inescapable. Um, and then after that, let's just say the Dark Knight trilogy. Enough said. Dark Knight trilogy is fantastic. We already talked about James Newton Howard's contribution to it. Um, the main thing that I'll, I'll say, because uh, I don't want to bog us down talking about just that forever, but I named like three different movies that everybody was imitating forevermore after they came out in terms of their film scores and whatnot. The, the, the Dark Knight, the Batman Begins, yeah, uh, to this day, some of the most influential films ever made. Um, we mentioned pirates earlier. Internationally, the rest of the world is still trying to cash in on pirates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like musically, aesthetically, tonally, everybody wants pirates back in their lives. Everybody's chasing Batman. Everybody's chasing pirates across the globe for, for the end of time, till the end of time. Um, the amazing thing about the Dark Knight films is that it's all there from the beginning. Like, like I often forget that, but the score for Batman Begins is essentially an opera. Um, and it, like most of the heavy lifting in terms of the music that will be incorporated into the next two movies is right there. It, it's there from the beginning. You, it may not register with you as strongly as as it will. And like by the time you get to the end of the trilogy, but he and James Newton Howard like knocked it out of the park their first at bat. It's really kind of incredible, actually. I do like a lot of the innovations uh, that they bring to the next two scores, but Batman Begins is pretty incredible. Like just how how much they did and how well they did it. Like before they had to pile on top of it via sequels and stuff. Anyway, that's Hans. That's that's most of my Hans. Like that's all the Hans that's that's special to me i guess would, would you say um that the dark knight trilogy is your favorite hans collaboration with uh christopher nolan oh that's a good question um yes um in totality um because as i said batman begins on its own is pretty incredible like they they nail a lot of the themes but there are variations uh brought on in the next two films that i'm really glad we got like some of this some of the tracks say what you will about the dark knight rises as a whole there's a couple of tracks on that score that are fantastic that borrow quite a lot of what came before chasing the convoy east uh is it's like the the apex version of that piece of music that was already in batman begins for the most part but it's the best rendition of it and it wouldn't come about until that third film. Uh, the Joker's theme, obviously, 
incredible stuff. I mean, for fuck's sake, they basically ripped it off in countless other movies, including a fucking Marvel movie. I'm looking at you, Winter Soldier. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, straight up rip off. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'd probably say, I mean, it's, it's the basic answer, but Dunkirk. The score for Dunkirk is fantastic. Um, that mm -hmm. ticking clock motif is, I mean, it's very particular to Nolan, um, but Supermarine, uh, the track from Dunkirk, look that one up if you haven't, Brad, like in isolation. It go it goes some cool places. <laughs> that's that's still Hans, right? The, I think it's the last one they did together. I think so. I mean, I'll double check. I, I hope I didn't get that wrong. I think it, I'm pretty, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, that egg on my face if I'm wrong, but because um, he now now him and yeah, it is. are done. They're donezo. Yeah. Who is he moved on to? Because Oppenheimer was whom? Ludwig Ludwig Göransson, I believe. I mean, that's it's a good choice. It's a very He's talented dead. composer in his own right. Here. OK, this is so I, I forgot that they've only done the two movies together. Him and Ludwig. I was going to ask, do you prefer Ludwig's? Nolan scores or Hans Nolan scores, but get just get away for scores for a second. Yeah. Uh, visual visually cinematography. Do you prefer the Hoyt Van Hoytema uh, era of Nolan or the Wally Pfister era? Because ah. I think uh, Hoyt's first was Interstellar. I think he did Interstellar. I think he's done every Nolan film since. So are we talking just aesthetics, like just cinematography? Just cinematography, yeah. Who's your, who's your favorite Nolan cinematographer? I mean, in terms of in, ter in terms of the films that I've consumed and enjoyed, I'd probably go Fister, just because I have more exposure. But mm -hmm. Hoyt von Hoytema, on an aesthetic level, there's there's some levels to this game. <laughs> like, like he, he makes some very strong visuals. It's just, I, yeah. I just haven't seen those movies that often. Like, like all of them, I've, if I've seen them, I've only seen them once. I think Whereas the dark Knight films, you know, seen a billion fucking times. Yeah. I think I'm going Hoyt. I think, I think, yeah. uh, I think Dunkirk might be my favorite looking Nolan film. I was really blown away by that one. on rewatch. I really love Dunkirk. Like I've only watched it once. But I don't know what it was about that day, but I woke up early and I just sat on the couch by myself and I was like, you know what? It's time to watch Dunkirk. And I watched it and I was like, it's a great fucking film. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say the last time I watched it, the movie itself went down a little bit, to be honest, yeah. on a rewatch. But the visuals. Better than ever. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've said it before. I eat, I eat with my eyes. Uh, so. I, I am prone to giving half star bumps or full ass star bumps to things that stimulate me on a aesthetic level. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, uh, is, is von Hoytema cinema is quite striking, quite beautiful to look at. But that's beside the point. Uh, yeah. Tangent over. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I mean, tangents tell me you're engaged. <laughs> you could be dicking on your phone instead. Uh, so, Brad, uh, we've been going about an hour and a half. You want to do one more round, or are you about tapped? Yeah, let's do. Let's do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. Um, let's go with this. One. Let's go with this one. This is. I I probably won't have much to say because, like you kind of mentioned. Uh, time or two ago this one is really only one specific track 
because to be honest, I don't even remember many other pieces of original score in the movie. And I looked at the album on Spotify and there was like only four tracks, to be honest, from this movie. The rest was soundtrack. So it I'll just I'll just throw it out there. I'm talking about (laughs) Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, the first one, which I don't have on 4K. I only have on Blu-ray. But um, specifically, the track, uh, <laughs> main title theme. <laughs> Is that a Bernstein? Yeah, Elmer Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I love that track. It's, Is that the it's, piano? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like so like like kind of it just it, it fits the movie so well, and I I love how it plays into it's like comedic but it's kind of got just, it's a little off kilter I, I really like it and uh that's one that i think fits this really well because you know it's not like a hugely iconic piece of music but having watched this movie again and again and again growing up it certainly is a piece of original score that i am nostalgic for um and uh yeah i i, I also found that a lot of times um the music that I most associated with a movie was like tracks that were early in the movie. And I don't know if that's like, as a kid, I would sit down to watch a movie and get 20 minutes in and go do something else. I don't know. Um, I'll mention a few more of those in the speed round, but uh, yeah, this one definitely very, very nostalgic. And of course uh, I love the movie. Um, And uh, yeah, what else, what else can you say? Yeah, no, that piece of music is, like you said, it, it fits the character, it fits the story so perfectly. It's, it's, it's three bumbling idiots living in the big city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. like it, and it, on top of that, it has that like incidental score sound to it, where it sounds like like something that you can drop into almost any. It's like curb your enthusiasm music. Like you can drop it on top of almost anything, and it would probably it would probably fit at least a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it has a, a warmth and a bounciness to it that is fantastic. It's so memorable. And I mean, also just goes to show how uh, like wrong, not that it was a terrible movie. Yep. I haven't seen the new one, but how wrong the new, the two new Ghostbusters movies are like just not getting it like you just you don't you don't you don't get it like even though your your dad directed the movie jason you you don't really get it okay like people aren't really into this we we didn't love ghostbusters because it was a big epic you know action adventure movie no it was it had a good premise and it was funny and it had great comedic characters and i think that uh score perfectly captures that and if you were to drop that piece of music into any moment in the the answer to call or no not in, uh what was the last one uh ghostbusters afterlife uh, afterlife if you were to drop it anywhere in ghostbusters afterlife it would feel horribly out of place um and uh yeah just i don't know i guess i to be fair i don't know how you would recapture the Ghostbusters magic because they they kind of tried to do that with the uh, answer to the call the Kristen Wig one which was you know more in the vein of I guess the original because it was just 
trying to be an out and out comedy. I didn't think it was very good, but it was certainly more in that vein. So if you try and redo it as a comedy, you're going to fail. If you try and make it a generic Hollywood blockbuster, I guess people will like it. I don't know. But, um, yeah, yeah, it feels like I, I'm, I'm fine with the games, the video games and uh, the animated stuff. I just feel like as a movie, I just feel like it's just leave it alone. And I like I like the second one, but yeah, I, I actually kind of defend the second one. I don't think it's that bad. Like, really like I know good, actually I'll, I, I'll defend it till the day I die. That That is the one with. Yeah, with the tub, the the goo in the tub. Yeah, the that pink goo amazing. in the tub. All right, yeah. it's that a river of slime. <laughs> I yeah, I mean that's that scene in particular actually um, was one that freaked me out when I was a little kid. That and um, what's his face? Uh, is it Janusz? Um, Janusz, his <laughs> eyes. Yes, when I was a, when I was a, when I was like a baby, when I was a very little kid, that scene was on at like my aunt's house or something. When his arms get stretchy and his eyes are glowing red. Shit freak me out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Vigo, yeah. one of the best villains ever. Vigo the Carpathian. Let's go. Yeah, let's not talk about the guy who played Vigo. Like, oh, yeah. Go, yeah, yeah we don't I forgot about that. Yeah. We already had to talk about him on the Digstown episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, he was, he was a monster. He was a terrible person. We acknowledge that. We know that. Um, But yeah, Ghostbusters 2, I would I would defend. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Ghostbusters Masterclass. I don't know if we do the whole Masterclass. <laughs> like maybe the real Ghostbusters. Like do like a, a few sample episodes because I I did grow up watching the cartoon of the real Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters, and I didn't get to the the live action movie until I was like middle school age, I think. And then uh, I loved it. Really loved it. I, first Ghostbusters is it's a classic it's it's tremendous um but yeah you're absolutely right with the the new movies there is there's a disconnect i i think what they're trying to do is appease a fan base that exists for sure but i think they're i think they're barking up the wrong tree because like when i think of ghostbusters i think of schlubs mm -hmm. like part of the part of the charm of it is that that you know they're they're just they're trying to start a business and they fall ass backwards into saving the day. And also there's a song called saving the day. <laughs> that's pretty great. Yeah. That's featured in the Good film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, that's, that's what, that's the essence of ghostbusters is get really talented comedians who know how to play off of each other, who have chemistry, actual chemistry and make them schlubs. They're not triumphant heroes. They, they suck. <laughs> but they and, just kind of luck their way into saving the day. <laughs> can I can I say something here that might be controversial? Uh -oh. Um so you know, the new one focuses on children. I might be in the minority here, but I as a kid, I didn't really care about movies about children. You know what I mean? It's like I loved Ghostbusters, which was a movie about adults. I loved Beetlejuice, which I, there was a kid in it, but it was mainly a movie about adults. You know, it's like there there are examples like, OK, people love the Goonies, but I was never like a big Goonies guy. Like, I, I do like the Goonies, but I wasn't like big on it. Like the Sandlot wasn't super big on that. Like that might just be a me thing. But like, I, I it, it feels like 
they're trying to appeal to children by having children be the main characters. But as a kid, I wanted to watch adults as something to look up to. Like, I, I almost feel like I like movies about kids now more because it reminds me of a time when I was young. But as a kid, I didn't want to watch movies about kids. I, I, I go, I go to school eight hours a day with kids. I want to see adults do some stuff. So I don't know. That might, that might just be me, but no, I, I seem to remember you bringing this up before and I, tend to agree like i mean as a kid you're you're often subjected to a lot of media like kid power is what they call it like 90s disney movies live action disney movies like mm -hmm. i'm talking like any of their sports dramas they're making in the 90s like the little giants or the mighty ducks and stuff like kid power um you got you got subjected to a lot of that stuff but oftentimes what i was reaching for involved adults or at least teenagers people like i was looking up to like things that i was like fiction and stories that were reaching beyond me um like something that i should have led with which is not something that i'm going to talk about is godzilla um most of those movies have adult casts and often are very very boring um but i subsisted on godzilla media for the most like a steady diet of godzilla when i was a little kid i easily could devote like a whole three hours to just talking about those scores. I've made a calculated decision to omit that um, just because I don't want to get us bogged down in that. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And it looks like it looks like Chase Keys uh, from the <laughs> Snescapades podcast agrees as well. Uh, it says, totally with Brad on this one. When I was a kid, I had more fun imagining what I might be like as an adult or teenager. I didn't need to see any kids in those roles. And yeah. Sounds, sounds like you got it sounds like you got a believer kids don't like kids as much as adults think they do <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh shit um but yeah uh on the subject of the score um that is kind of amazing though that you can pinpoint it to just like one track because i mean obviously in terms of music most people think of the ray parker song mm -hmm. and also saving the day if you're serious like if you're a true fan <laughs> but i prefer saving the day to be honest <laughs> it's i like the i like the instrumental version better if i'm being honest it's <laughs> <laughs> like shh just, just we get shut it up. we get it yeah we shut up just just let the street crumble and all that business is gone with the movie <laughs> but um elmer bernstein is a legend of cinema that i Honestly, I, I don't know off the top of my head that many scores that I associate with him. I know he did The Magnificent Seven, which is a banger. Like, that's a classic Western theme. Um, but The Great Escape is instantly like that's like the big one that jumps to my mind uh, when I think of Elmer Bernstein. Did you ever see The Great Escape, Brad? Nope, I uh, bought it on Criterion Blu-ray, and then it was announced for uh, Kino 4K. So now I just feel like I I shouldn't watch either of them. <laughs> just so slighted by the whole experience. What a, what a joke! <laughs> it's a great film. Uh, highly recommended. Uh, that was a dad film. Like again, my dad's still alive. He's very he's still very much alive. But yeah, uh, my dad uh, he had me watch that when I was pretty young. Um, and I even as a little kid, I really loved it. And a big part of it, honestly, was the score, the, the soundtrack, the theme music for that is wonderful. 
Uh, I've seen it pop up in other places. Like I seem to remember it being on an episode of The Simpsons at one point. And I was like, I understood that reference. It's like, I'm 10 years old, but I understood that reference. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elmer Bernstein, when you want something to hold your movie together, you got to have a score composed by a guy who is named after glue. So <laughs> they went with the, <laughs> went with a great good pick on that one. Well, on that note, um, so I guess the, the pick is to me, and I have done a shit job of representing my childhood, and I think I'm going to continue to do a shit job of representing my childhood. I'll go over all of them during the speed round, I promise, but yeah, for whatever reason, I just don't have it in me to talk about. I started out this evening just, just raring to go, talking about all this old shit, but I guess, I guess not. It's just not in the cards. Uh, so instead... I'm going to take an opportunity to show off a little bit um, because I just got the shit in the mail and it may as well. Uh, so give me one sec. I just got to gather these up. Okay. So I have here. So I, I guess I've been self self regulating here by organizing things into uh, composers. So I've kind of been representing composers as I've been going. That wasn't the plan uh, to kick things off, but it's worked out pretty well. So I have here a collection of films uh, from a director or a composer, rather, uh, who I believe passed away a long time ago. Um, I'm assuming that's the case with Elmer Bernstein as well. Um, but I really miss this guy's sound. Um, he's greatly missed. Uh, and that would be Basil Polidorus. Uh, so I have here in my hand. Robocop, Rubicoop. Uh, this is the Arrow 4K Super Duper Hardback Special Edition of Rubicoop, which I went out of my way to get because I really love Rubicoop. Uh, it's also directed by Paul Verhoeven, uh, who is a tremendous filmmaker. He's from the Netherlands, uh, where my girlfriend's family hails from. I've been trying to get her to watch this for fucking ever. Anyway, Basil Polidorus' score for Robocop is fantastic. Uh, it goes through quite a lot of the emotional spectrum. Um, but when I think Basil Polidorus, I think bombast. I think I think big, booming, loud. I think triumphant um, and highly represented in this film. On top of that, though, I also have, and this is the thing I said I was going to show off here, Brad, that I just got. Um, this would be The Conan Chronicles, Ooh, which just came out nice. in our region anyway. Uh, via Arrow, this is the Conan films, the Conan the Barbarian films, uh, Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. Both are scored by Basil Polidorus um, and both star Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously. Um, and he did both scores for both films. Uh, I believe John Milius only directed the first film, did not return for Conan the Destroyer. Um, and then I also have Starship Troopers on DVD, which is another Paul Verhoeven film. Um, I saw this movie in the fucking theater <laughs> when I was 13. No, this came out in like what? 97. I was like 11 when I saw this in the theater. <laughs> um, my, I saw it, my, my friend's dad took us to see this shit. Um, nice. he was, he was, a, a Finnish, like from Finland, uh, ex-marine so he didn't give a shit about any of the violence or 
nudity or whatever the fuck. So I got to see this shit in the theater. It was life changing. Maybe that's why I'm such a fucked up person. But um, <laughs> Basil Polidarus' score for this is tremendous. Um, there's a brand new game right now called Helldivers 2. Uh, just came out. It's a multiplayer game that borrows heavily from the aesthetic and general tone of this film. Um, and that extends also to the music. I was very pleased to hear that, that some of the, the music from the game, it's like, oh, they, they really followed through on that reference to that movie that, that we all like. Um, I really like this movie a lot. Um, it has layers to it. And if, if you think it, if you think it doesn't, then maybe give it another shot because it, it's got some stuff going on. Uh, the girlfriend and I actually watched this one together. Um, and she really enjoyed it. It kind of surprised me. Normally she doesn't go for this sort of thing, but like she really got a lot out of it. And then, uh, yeah, uh, fully acknowledged terrible human being. Um, but we keep talking about him on the podcast lately. Um, Steven Seagal, <laughs> he just, he just keeps popping up. Uh, I have here in my hand, the Steven Seagal collection, which includes, uh, under siege two which very well may be the first R-rated film I ever saw, um, with the exception of perhaps Terminator 2, um, also scored by uh, Basil Polidorus. Under Siege 2, that is, not Terminator 2. <laughs> um, and it has an excellent action score. Like, it really does. It, the, the movie takes place on a train, and I don't know, I don't know on a musical level how to describe it, because I, I don't have the vocabulary or the insight, but train music is a genre of music there is a specific quality to music that makes your brain think of trains and i can point to the first time i discovered this phenomenon in the form of mr rogers when that goddamn trolley comes out and it goes it train music i think it's the steady cadence or something that that makes one one think of trains or something. Anyway, the score for Underseas 2 feels evocative of trains. It, it fits. Anyway, Basil Polidorus is a magnificent composer, or was, rather. Um, and those are just the movies of his, that, like the movies that he scored that are, are, are of particular import to, my, to me. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking nostalgic uh, scores from him, uh, Basil Polidorus, is that his name? Polidorus, Polidorus. Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles would have to be the one for me. Not that really. I, not that I remember the score, but I uh, did have that uh, as a as a kid. Well, I guess I wasn't that young. It was two thousand <laughs> or whatever it came out, but yeah, I had that tape, and um, I I would place a good amount of money that I've seen that ver movie more than I've seen the original Crocodile Dundee. But is, anyway, that, was, is, is that the one that was a running gag on that How I Met Your Mother show or whoever? That does sound like something. Yeah. It was like the one character's dad or something. It was like, it was like yeah, the Crocodile Dundee 3 wasn't half, wasn't as bad as you might oh, think. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 I think that's what it was. Yeah, just a classic flick. Um, but no, I was looking through his uh, filmography, other movies that he's composed. And uh, yeah, he had a he had a good career. Too too bad that he died. Uh, well, I don't know how old he was. How I was gonna say died young, but was he? he was, yeah, sixty one. That's young. 
that's that's pretty young, man. Um, yeah. I should point out, I uh, should spotlight anyway, not just because it's my shiny new toy, but the Conan Chronicles. Um, a good friend of mine who probably doesn't listen to the podcast, <laughs> even though he's like one of my best friends. That's how you can tell he's a good friend. <laughs> um, he uh, he introduced me to these movies. Uh, he actually bought me a DVD that I still have of these movies. Um, but more important, uh, he introduced me to the score for these movies before I saw them. Uh, he had the soundtrack uh, just on CD. And this is a guy who doesn't buy media for the most part. He just really liked the music. And um, I described the, uh, the Batman Begins uh, score as like an opera, uh, like operatic. Conan the Barbarian is that. You can listen to the score of Conan the Barbarian in isolation and get most of the story. Uh, and it's beautiful. Like a lot of these other scores of his that I tossed out there, they have like bombastic, like heart pounding action cues and themes. Like the, the Robocop March is, is a well-known theme in cinema. And it has some great action cues and some great instrumentation on top of that. But the Conan the Barbarian score is is kind of like next level shit. Where it, it takes you on an emotional journey. And and the the amount of variation between tracks is really incredible. And the riddle of steel that kicks off the movie is fantastic. I love how on the score they include uh, Mako. They include his narration. Uh, between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis, <laughs> all that business—it's—it's it's on. It's part of the music. It's like, yes, that's doing it right. Um, have you ever listened to the score for either of these movies, Brad? No, no, I haven't seen the movies either. Oh, uh, they—they they might be kind of dated. Like, like in terms of production quality, they do have some liabilities. They are of their time, but I don't know that it. it good old-fashioned mythic filmmaking like like perhaps the most fun part anyway at least like as an adult now is to go back and listen to the director commentary <laughs> with john Williams and a drunk arnold schwarzenegger who can't even remember the movie <laughs> where john Williams waxes poetic for 10 minutes at a time about the making of the film and how important it is and how mythic and epic it is and then arnold just goes yeah <laughs> or he's or he says something that's grossly incorrect and then the, then john millius has to correct him that does um, sound pretty good but yeah Conan the destroyer is not as good of a score although uh there is an iteration of the of the riddle of steel uh, or the like one of the main themes of conan uh that plays during the opening titles of Conan the destroyer that is very very good um, so it, it has its moments, but it is greatly inferior, as is the movie, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, worth checking out, but just remember what you're getting into. It's like, this it is a fantasy film from the early 80s. Like, this is before they let Arnold talk. <laughs> like, like, no joke, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's about it for me. So, uh, Brad, uh, would you like to proceed to the speed round, which will probably take a half an hour? <laughs> here i got a few things not a, not a ton. so what's um, about to happen here folks is we're just gonna run through the remainder of our our also like our, our runner-up picks basically whatever we didn't share in detail we're just gonna kind of run through real quick here 
Um, so I'll start with uh, Jerry. Actually, hang on. I got at least two of his here, uh, I believe. I got Jerry Goldsmith. Everything this guy touches turns to gold. Um, and actually, both from the same director. Um, didn't even think about that. But Joe Dante. You are right, my friend. I have Gremlins. Hey! Um, which uh, I specifically would highlight. Uh, let me pull it up here. The track uh, Late for Work. Late for Work. Again, this is a classic example of me just remembering that track because uh, it is one of the first in the movie. Um, and then I also have Small Soldiers, which um, isn't like super nostalgic for me, but I did watch this movie a lot. And I remember rewatching this movie. I was like, man, for like a movie of this caliber, like this score, like it just reminded me like, man, movies like this don't have scores as good anymore, which is unfortunate. Yeah, the Smurfs uh, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I do have the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Um, I I love Howard Shore. I wouldn't say. I mean, I I wouldn't say this is my favorite work of his. Like, obviously, it's great, but I wasn't watching Cronenberg movies when I was eight years old, so that <laughs> probably is why this one has more nostalgia play. Um, I've got, uh, Danny Elfman. We got Beetlejuice, um, specifically just the main titles, the main theme. Um, but I think it's a great score outside of that. And I, I would, I would say it's not really nostalgic for me, but I, I like, uh, the Pee Wee's Big Adventure score quite a bit, if not more than this one. Oh my God. Um, the breakfast machine. Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. But that, that movie, I don't know when I first watched that movie, to be honest. I, I wasn't super young. Same here. Um, Same here. Yeah. So probably his his whole theater incident. Uh, my parents. <laughs> let's, let's not show this movie to our kids for a little while here. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one is a little little obvious, very obvious, but it 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 does play. It does fit the theme. Uh, we have Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, which I mean. What, what what can you even say about it? Um, but I watched this at maybe a little. I wouldn't say too young of an age, but it was I was pretty young when I when I watched this, and it scared the absolute shit out of me. Um, and uh, I have who did this one? Um, not seeing the name. Oh, James Horner. James. Hey, Horner. have we mentioned Horner yet? I don't think we have. We right? haven't, but we should. Yes, um, he is no longer with us, right? I believe. Yeah, he passed away a while ago as well. Yes. Um, also missed, greatly missed. Also missed. This one, again, not like anywhere near his best, but I have Jumanji. Hey! Because um, it's just a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Yeah. Um, I do like the score. There's kind of like the, you know, sort of jungle tribal kind of themes, a lot of like pan flutes and stuff like that. Uh, but d again track that stands out most to me is uh very similar to gremlins when uh in gremlins he's walking to work and this one it's the kid riding his bike around town um and Brett, then... real quick sorry to stop you did he do the land before time mm, that sounds right yeah but... i think he did the land before time uh because a lot of the jumanji score i get my wires crossed with those there's a certain 
like urgency there's a certain tone like when the kids are in danger that really makes me think of the land before time and also i like the the music when the monkeys are doing their monkey stuff the the instrumentation the instrumentation gets really fun and weird it's yeah it's a solid score it's a solid it is um land before time uh horn yep james horner you go hey i know my shit i'm a podcaster My last one, uh, this one's getting more into the high school age, but uh, the movie In Bruges, which I do love, and I love the score in this movie. Carter Burwell. Ooh, yeah. I think he might be the most underrated composer working today. He's He has gotten more of his due lately, but um, I remember like, when this came out, it's like he was kind of like the Coen Brothers guy, but... He, he, I don't, I don't think he got an Oscar nomination until like well into the 2010s, which is crazy to me. Um, but I, I love the music in this. Uh, I love the main theme and then the, uh, uh, like how it switches a little bit, which I actually, I'm trying to remember if it's original score or sourced music when it switches to the more rock infused, uh, like during the chase. That I, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. But the main theme is just incredible. So very cool that's 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 what i got that was fantastic brad like really solid picks man covered a lot of ground there with a lot of those composers and i'm gonna have some in common with you in just a second here um carter burwell um he did the score for i mean he i think of him and howard shore as being kind of similar in some ways like at least in terms of their reputation where they're both just so incredibly respected but like to like your average movie goer I, I don't think they're like household names but they're just yeah. like consistently just like putting putting in work like doing some amazing stuff um he did the score for the the jackal um which is a, a future episode of catching up on cinema i think i'm pretty sure we'll find an excuse to get to it someday i love the theme to the jackal um it plays in many different variations throughout that movie uh okay so i will try to go quickly here um, I, I, like I said, I did set aside a lot of stuff, um, but out of respect for everybody's attention spans, Brad included, uh, I'll try to go quick here. Uh, so I'm going to start with those aforementioned childhood picks. Uh, so in no particular order, and remember, these are all movies I watched when I was 10 or younger, mostly younger, like so single digit aged. But I watched a lot of movies, and I watched those. I watched those movies a lot. Um, anyway, the Rescuers Down Under could not give two shits about the Rescuers, but the Rescuers Down Under I loved when I was a little kid. Um, it's from that. It was from an interesting era of Disney animation. It's from 1990, I think. Uh, composer was Bruce Broughton, um, who, as far as I know, as mostly like a TV guy. He has worked with the Disney Corporation quite a lot, though. Um, in varying capacities um fantastic score good good solid adventure score um the flying pieces of music in that are mostly what i remember um there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where a little boy is riding a giant eagle that the music that plays over that sequence is like it puts tears in your eyes like it, it it's heartwarming to an extreme uh the secret of nim uh, this, I believe, is a was yes. Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this one. The aforementioned Jerry Goldsmith, uh, who I will have probably a couple more of. 
being as he he is maybe my most missed composer honestly um worked across many many decades of of hollywood history just put in work man and also constantly evolving like when like he he was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to like adopting synthesizers and he made some really brilliant use of them because he always had his orchestra to you know be to be at the forefront of things but there was always that electronic like something or other playing like underneath it like like whether it was just like a cadence or something um he gave us the fucking star trek theme as, as in like the next gen theme he, he did the the theme for star trek the motion picture um but the secret of nim in particular um was a film that was very very special to me when i was a little kid watched it untold numbers of times and the score had a lot to do with that a big thing that you'll find with a lot of the scores um from when i was a little kid is like a lot of them are, are very very like intense like a lot of them have like sharp peaks in terms of like emotional spikes and whatnot and in some ways i think of that as like almost like an educational process and i'll, I'll get to that in just a second but of transformers of the movie uh the transformers of the movie excuse me from 1986 not the michael bay one uh also that's probably the movie i've seen the most in my lifetime uh, vince DiCola did the score for that film um it all it also has any number of rock songs and a weird al song on the soundtrack uh dare to be stupid if you're curious brad um but Vince DiCola did a largely like a synthesizer score for it. Uh, he was hired on the strength of his Rocky Four score. Uh, and I, there's basically no score on the planet. I know better than that one. Top Gun. This is a two pack of Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. But Harold Faltermeyer, I think I mentioned him at the top of the episode. Top Gun was a very special movie to me when I was a little kid. And the score is a big part of that. Not just the songs, but um, the first thing you hear in the movie is actually score, not not danger zone it, it segues into the kenny Loggins song um mighty wings is also an underrated song and melody that plays throughout that film my neighbor totoro tonari no totoro totoro um saw this in the movie theater when i was a little kid it's a joe hisaishi score uh, he does a lot of repetitive scores i think that subject came up earlier in this discussion um but there's something special about his compositions. Uh, was it uh, Okuribito, uh, Departures? One of the most beautiful scores I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Kikujiro, also fantastic. And it's also like one of those like endlessly repeating, simple, simple, simple scores. But Kikujiro, also very, very good. But Totoro, when I was a little kid, that was like the big one. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, not just. The movie, mostly the animated series, Batman the animated series. Shirley Walker did the did the score for the series and the movie. Might be the best Batman theme ever composed. Might 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 be a, a masterpiece. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Check it if you haven't checked it out in a while, Brad. Look that shit up. It. <sighs> I might have to now. Yeah. Do it for once in your life. Listen to me. <laughs> 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 1954 Oscar winner for Best Special Effects. I watched the shit out of this movie when I was a little kid. Uh, I don't even know who did the music for this one. And I'm still not going to know who did it because I can't find it on the back of the box. But uh, the score for this music, uh, for this film, was incredible. 
watch the shit out of that one. The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, this is from 1938. And the score is by Eric Wolfgang Korngold uh, from the Golden Age of Hollywood. This is kind of what I was alluding to when I said an educational process because this is an old Hollywood swashbuckler. And the movie is constantly screaming at you how you're supposed to feel from moment to moment via its music. So like when I was three, four years old and I was watching Robin Hood do stuff, like when I was watching the Sheriff of Nottingham mistreat people, the score for the movie was telling me I should be upset. And when Robin Hood was having fun with his merry men, the movie through its score was telling me it's fun now. Smile, goddammit. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a super liminal style of communication. Uh, those golden age swashbucklers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Score by, I think it's John DePrez, uh, for the first two films. Just the first two. We don't talk about three. That sucks ass. <laughs> uh, the first two. Tremendous. It's, it's the best. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's good. Speed! Speed, motherfucker. Uh, Mark Mancina did the score for Speed. Just rewatched this. First time watch for the girlfriend. Blew her fucking mind. Speed is great. Mm -hmm. And Mark Mancina, I think he's come up on the show before. Um, he's still working, but his, his best days are far behind him as far as I can tell. But in the 90s, he was killing it. Speed is a fantastic score. For fuck's sake, Time Crisis, the video game, basically ripped it off. Um, and uh, Bad Boys, the theme music, not the song, Brad. Do you know the theme music to the Bad Boys movies? Can't say I do now. Motherfuck! You have homework to do. You have homework, sir. You Look it up. Bad uh, Boys. Check it out. Burr, 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 burr. Burr, 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 burr. It's the shit oh, i i that does it I, plays I, like 50 times else. in yeah. each of those movies like i it, think i know what you're talking about it's actually. if miami was a piece of music there you go well maybe push it to the limit <laughs> 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 the scarface song. uh the quick of the dead uh, this is uh alan silvestri i think i'm pretty sure it's alan silvestri yes it is it's alan silvestri um the theme music for this movie uh, blew my fucking mind when I was a kid. I listened to it on repeat so much. Glory! Had to watch this shit in school! Uh, Pepsi presents Glory, by the way. Because <laughs> it was recorded off of the television. It was Pepsi presents oh, yeah. Glory. Um, this is a James Horner score. Um, features a lot of choir tracks. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful score. Charging Fort Wagner. <laughs> uh, Bloodsport! Uh, this is done by Paul Herzog. Uh, largely electronic, mostly synthesizer. If you like, if you like some of that '80s shit, '80s synth music, Bloodsport, Bloodsport's got you covered. Bill Conti and Vince Nicola on Rocky. Some of the most important scores of my life. Probably should have talked about them in detail. Oh well. Uh, Gundam Wing, Endless Waltz. Uh, this is uh, was it. Cole Otani did the score for this, uh, as well as the Gamera trilogy of films. Uh, one of my favorite composers. Also, um, I said I wasn't going to talk about Godzilla. Also not going to be talking about James Bond. Also not going to be talking about Kenji Kawai. Uh, because I checked back and I did talk about him in detail 
last time we talked about music. Um, so he's not, yeah, he, he's represented, but not, not today. Uh, heat. I think this was Elliot Goldenthal who did the score. I haven't checked, but, um, a friend of mine was kind of obsessed with this movie. So it was kind of around a lot. Um, the one <laughs> Jet Li and the one, uh, this is a Trevor Rabin score who, as far as I understand, has a background in rock. Like he was a rock musician. I don't know for what bands he, he played with, but, um, Trevor Rabin was one of those fellows who I don't think escaped the 90s. Uh, Con Air was probably the biggest score that comes to mind when I think of him. And Deep Blue Sea. Um, but the one, the reason why this one's important is because I bought the fucking soundtrack for this movie on CD from a silver fucking platters. It's a good score. It's all right. Um, Alien, all the Alien movies. Elliot Goldenthal, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner. I don't know who did Alien Resurrections because... Who gives a shit? Um, and uh, last one, I guess, is Die Hard. Uh, I should also hold up Lethal Weapon, but it's downstairs and I don't have it in front of me. Michael Kamen uh, did the score for both of those franchises. That's quite the claim to fame, to be involved in both of those. Um, lives in my memory rent-free. If you look up, uh, I think it's Blow the Roof is the name of the track. If you look up the phrase like climax in like a cinema dictionary. It's that piece of music. It's masterful. It's brilliant. This is cinema. Anyway, that was quite a lot. I'm sorry about that, Brad. No, you probably, great picks, man. Probably lost a few brain cells just then. I apologize. No, no, I got I got some homework to do. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean I do too. I gotta look up the social network at the very least. That that is a home that is a homework assignment. For and it's good for homework. So it's it's a Perfect, perfect uh, parry. Yeah, I, I wish I could have talked more about Jerry Goldsmith, but I don't own Gremlins and um, I don't own Total Recall. And I sold my DVD of Deep Rising because I, I plan on upgrading that someday. I love his score for, for Deep Rising. It's tremendous. Anyway, that's about it. Uh, for today's episode but thank you for joining me today brad this was a long one but i hope this was a good one yeah no it's always good being here and this was a lot of fun yeah i pr probably could use some chock full of nuts to keep me going but it is pretty late in my neck of the woods and it's even later in your neck of the woods so uh yeah maybe not today maybe next time uh but yeah uh before we go uh brad would you like to let our listeners and hopefully viewers uh know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast well, thank you, Trevor. It's the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, anywhere you find your podcast, you can listen to us. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on X or Twitter at the Cinema Speak. Instagram, it's Cinema Speak podcast. And on YouTube as Cinema Speak. All right. Well said. Uh, now comes the fun part where I get to poke you about your YouTubes. Uh, you got anything in the pipe at the moment? Uh, I was, ho I was hoping to get something up actually real soon, but, uh, it's probably going to be maybe next month. I might have something. We'll see. Okay. Well, I'm, if, if it isn't out by next month, I will poke you again and okay. the process will just continue ad nauseum. <laughs> Endless, endlessly. Endless pokes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, as for myself and for catching up on cinema, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can do so by navigating to our website of catchinguponcinema.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter slash X at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Uh, so fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening and hopefully watching. And uh, we will catch you next time. Say bye, Brad. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Good night.